Welcome to this episode of CTU Speaks, Paul's Path of Destruction. Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher. I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher, so I'm inspired by the fight from my Chicago teachers. I'm your co-host, Jim Staros, and... Tara Stamps. All right, Tara, how are you doing today? You know what? Today is better than yesterday. Uh, you know, I'm still kind of recovering. I know you were kind from of the, uh, accosted. Yeah, I was accosted. accosted. I won't call it a melee. You know, nobody got laid out. They probably should Somebody have. Somebody was about to. Um, yes, because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm about that life. About that life. In case people didn't know, I'm not play to with be Tara now. played with. Yeah, it was something. You know, I like, Crazy. see, push is like um, sacred ground. You know, the, the the headquarters of Jesse Jackson. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so these these goons, these uh, Paul Vallis, you know, is paying big money. Yep. He's paying, you know, these unprincipled goons pretty decent money to basically um, attack people. and harass yeah. uh, Brandon supporters. And so I guess maybe they're used to doing that and people are so shocked and they're like, Oh my God. But you know, they got the right one yesterday because you, you know, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm about this life. And tell so them about themselves. a few other CTU members who I will not name them because you know, we got our good jobs. Okay. However, it was terrible. It was terrible. I'm sorry. That was, terrible. and, that was um, bad. and I, I did not like that we had to experience that, but it just showed how desperate his campaign is. Well, right. I mean, that's what Paul Vallis is about, right? Coming in someplace, destroying it just for his own personal gain. And, you know, it, the crazy thing is, you know, when he was here in Chicago, both as Daly's budget director and Chicago public schools head, this was not the only place he's done this kind of damage. He's done it all over the country. And outside of the country and as well. And outside of the country, too. But both in, in countries that have a high uh, black population. Hmm. And in many ways um, are already compromised and struggling financially. And, That's right. you know, the work that he, he's he's he's, you know, his path of destruction um, extended all the way to Haiti and Puerto Rico. That's and right. I mean, that's it's insane um, that this person is able to just get away with the carnage that he has caused in um, both the the states and in other places. That's right. I mean, he's just basically perpetrating violence on these communities, um, communities of color, poor communities, communities that are under distress because of natural disasters or other mm-hmm. things that have happened. And then you get the unnatural disaster of Paul Vallis coming in and doing make it even worse. Right. Which speaks to this, you know, shock doctrine. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just picked up on that. I was thank you, Eric. Um and, and disaster that, capitalism. There you go. And um I mean he he is that person, right? So yep. we know the the kind of natural disasters that have happened in both Haiti and Puerto Rico and New Orleans. Mm-hmm. So listen, we have an opportunity to lay him low. There we go. <laughs> and so we have to seize this opportunity to vanquish. Oh Pulling out all the big words. (laughs) I like it. I was thinking of Voldemort and I was thinking Voldemort. Yes. Like from Harry Potter. Those who should not be spoken. He who should not be named. You should not be named. I'm a true Potter fan. So you're a Potter head. I am such a Potter fan. And so, yeah, we need to vanquish this dude. We do. We got to get rid of him because, you know, I mean, he's willing to do this in every community to come in and destroy. I can't even imagine what it would be like if he ran everything in the city. So we got it. We got to bunch of great guests that decided to join us here at CTU headquarters to uh, to talk about this. Right. We have some amazing uh, women uh, to join us from New Orleans. 
in Philly. We had Shakita Gaines, educational activist and advocate in Philly. We had Troylin Sledge, activist with Step Up Action in New Orleans, and Melissa Francis, a parent union organizer for Step Up Action in New Orleans, Louisiana. Nice. So we, you know, we thank them and we cannot wait for you to hear uh, from them in their own words about the devastation that Paul Vallis left in their respective cities um, and their inability right now to even get a hold on it, to bring it back. As Chicagoans, we don't want to be in that terrible position of not being able to invest in our in our public school system. No, that's exactly right. And we need to make sure that we keep him out, make sure we got Brandon in. And, Brandon, and Brandon, Brandon, right, yeah. Brandon. All right, there we go. Get the chant going a little bit. I can hear everybody out there in our audience Brandon singing with us. Yeah. Brandon is better. That's right. But he really is. Of course right? he is. And I tell people this, and they're like, well, you about the, no, 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 no. Because what people don't realize mm-hmm. is it's bigger than Brandon. And it's actually even bigger than Paul Vallis. It's about our right, your right, my right, regular Chicagoans' right to stay on the land. Our right to a quality education, our right to public sector work with good jobs and good benefits. It's about so much more that's just seemed to be connected to these two entities at the time. I said, whether Brandon won or won, he's going to be okay. The bigger goal is making sure that regular everyday Chicagoans like me, like you, are fine as well in this city. That's right. It's all about what kind of community do we want to live in. Yep. As Brandon says, it's a better, safer, stronger Chicago, and we are all entitled to that. There you go. Let's get to our guest right now. So we're here with our three guests that we've got today coming from all over the U.S. And maybe they should uh, just introduce themselves here a little bit. Yes, my name is Troy Lynn Sledge, and I'm with Step Up for Action, New Orleans, Louisiana. Hi, guys. My name is Shakita Gaines. I am a Philly parent, activist, educational. Mm -hmm. You know, we do this and we just walk. We're glad to be here with you. My name is Melissa Francis. I represent Step Up for Action, where I'm a parent union organizer. I'm from New Orleans. I love that you guys um, have joined us here in in the shy. Welcome mm-hmm. to the shy. I hope that um, you are being taken care of well while you're here in the city of Chicago. And I know a big part of why you guys are visiting with us is because of your own personal experiences uh, with Paul Vallis. What you experienced as a parent. Uh, in New Orleans, what you may have experienced as a community organizer in Philadelphia, and we want to hear more about that. So, according to to Paul, <laughs> according, to, according Paul. to Paul, he he did amazing work in New Orleans. He he saved public schools, transformed systems. the schools, he transformed schools in New Orleans. It's impressive, and and that's his line. So, how does his line differ from? the truth, your truth. Well, for me, um, Paul Vallis is a good liar. You know, <laughs> he, uh, he snuck in new Orleans and had people in 2007 believe, which a lot of people weren't back from the, the, the disaster hurricane Katrina at that time. Um, he told everybody that lie and he sold it and people, uh, believed in him that he was going to save our schools. But 
in turn, he broke the communities, destroyed black and brown schools, and passed the baton to other people. Likewise. I want Louisiana to like really have that moment, but I want y'all to know that he started in Philly first mm-hmm. with his reign and terror. So he went from Chicago to Philly and we had a thing called the SRC. The SRC was the school reform commission and they hired this colonizer. And what they did was paid him. And instead of him being called a superintendent, he wanted to be a CEO because he's a businessman. Well, not only that, he doesn't have the credentials to be a Absolutely not. But he also doesn't have the credentials to be a businessman because what businessman loses millions of dollars and does not know where his millions of dollars has went? He left us in a deficit of $190 million. Wow. But we did still owe the state seven point something million dollars. But he got his $180,000 payout. While teachers that left the profession had... Um, not been paid five to six months, but he got his payout when he walked out. Wait a minute. Roll that back. Roll it back. So what happened that teachers didn't get paid for five months? So because we were in a deficit and we owed the state, we could not pay those teachers who had left the profession. So those teachers were waiting for five to six months to get paid oh because of the deficit that we were left in. But he got his $180,000 and he bounced to New Orleans. And he did the New Orleans bounce all the way over. <laughs> all the way down south. So that was, so New Orleans was actually the third stop on the train of terror. When Hurricane Katrina came, everybody went to just about all 50 states. They were away. So they didn't know what was really going on with the school. So certified teachers who had lifetime certificates when they were ready to come back home to go to their prospective schools, it was changed to charter schools, and they were not able to get employed. So he had devised the whole system. If you understand the dynamics of New Orleans, the Mississippi River Bridge divides the East Bank from the West Bank. I live on the West Bank, and it didn't flood. And it was devastation on the East Side. After the teachers were able to come back home, you know, lost family. It was a lot of devastation. So you needed mental health counseling. You, if you had to uh, go on the roof and wait for a helicopter, have never experienced that. So you need therapy. You needed mental health. So when they came back to go to their schools, the doors were closed. They weren't able to go to their community school. So he designed a system where there was charter, like you said. So the teachers, they just kind of gave up and weren't able to get into school because he had already designed the plan that he wanted for the schools. Why would you tear down schools on the West Bank when nothing was wrong with the schools, in particular L.B. Landry? And it was a beautiful brick structure. It looked like a schoolhouse. He built a gray prison-style school in our community. Prison-style. Yes, it was. The way the classrooms were designed, closets, anywhere you can fit. And I don't understand why we couldn't have something historic in our district. Right. I have to piggyback off of that. He started his prisoner pipeline in Philly. Mm -hmm. It started with us. He had a no tolerance, zero tolerance program where he wanted two police officers in every school so children can be arrested on site. This makes no sense at all. All right. So, you know, I heard you guys talking about, and you mentioned some of this already, about how Vallis's plan in both your cities kind of destroyed the communities 
from within. Yeah, a lot can, of dissension. Right. Can, can you explain how that happened with creation of the charter schools and their prison of, uh, school to prison pipeline? How that actually went in and destroyed Because the children were not able to go back to their community school. Nothing was wrong with L.B. Landry and other schools. Okay? They left them dormant. And then he devised a one-app program. Meaning you had to, if you want to go to Landry, they made sure you didn't go in your neighborhood school. So you had to go across the river, 50 miles, and catch a bus. So we had children zigzagging with daylight saving time, children, five, six years old, pulling their belt, having had breakfast, trying to get to the bus. Okay, then you hear on the news that something is wrong with the uh, tires on the bus. The buses don't have any transportation. There was accidents. So it wasn't for the good. It was for destruction. Paul Vallis is a very much so pro-police candidate. Tell me more about that school-to-prison pipeline and the carceral language that was used with students in Philly and then in New Orleans. Okay. When you think about stuff like this, you start crying, your tears start coming because you remember how many kids actually got arrested under his watch. He wasn't arrested because he had guns in school. They wasn't arrested for knives in school. They were arrested for fights. And if you're a true educator, you, have, you, you knew how to maintain the classroom. That was part of being a teacher. But it wasn't just Class that. management. But it wasn't just that aspect. It was the push out of parents first. So you, had, you pushed out parents first. And the thing in Philadelphia is we have home and school associations, which you guys might have PTAs and PTOs in other um, parts of states or whatever. But we had home and school associations. And they start pushing those home and school associations out of the building. And those are the parent organizations that work for free. They were volunteers inside of the building. They did all the fundraising. They did all the community service. They had the escalation rooms. They did all the things that kept a community together because the goal was to build an oasis inside of a school where a child felt like if things were going wrong, I could go down here and maybe go speak to this parent because this parent is a part of this neighborhood. And it makes sense because the teacher was working where they needed to work. The parent was inside of the building. The principal had the head. And then you had all of our SEIU folks out there, that you know, our cleaners and our staff, and they all worked together in a cohesive space to make sure that school was safe and full of love. And when he came in, he did not like that idea. That zero tolerance went from plucking parents out of there. From now, now, now not having Title I funding for this certain things, not being able to ensure that parents were able to be a part of decision making. So teachers became their own isolated space and principals became their own isolated space. And we left our kids out to dry. I want to give you an example of uh, the prisoner pipeline um, that a parent shared with me. You know, as parents, we rely on, well, before Katrina, we, we relied on teachers as experts to nurture our children, to teach our children. But when we came back, it was something different because uh, those experts turned out to be teachers that were a part of the uh, Teach for America uh, fellowship. And those people were no longer uh, role models for our kids, right? They didn't understand our culture or anything like that. So I remember one a uh, parent coming up to me uh, explaining to me that um, her son was suspended 
and was going to be penalized had I not came and advocated on her behalf because her child was doing a dance and it seemed to the teacher of, or the substitute that was in the classroom, she thought the child was, by the child looking at her, that he was being provocative and felt uh, insecure and wanted the police to arrest him because she thought he was making um, passes at her. So in turn, this substitute teacher, she was able to uh, get paid for time off and this child was going to be suspended had not it been for me advocating on that child's behalf. So when you say uh, prisoner pipeline, you know, we talking about people that don't have our children at our best interests anyway. So no, no, I think that's really important that, you know, when, you know, you guys were talking about how he isolated the parents, he isolated the families. And when you isolate a community, you tear it apart. And that that's intentional. Yeah. You know, I, I think that's important. This, the thing that always gets me with Vallis when we're talking about him, every, everybody makes mistakes. Sometimes you have a plan, it didn't work out. You know, we've all taught lessons that we thought were going to be really cool, and then they, they didn't work out that well. But this was his actual plan. So for Vallis, it's actually working. This is what he wanted, to break the communities apart. And that's why he destroyed your school that was, was working fine, because that was the center of that community. And if the center of the community is something he can't control, then that's a problem for him. Because it's the, it's the right way to start gentrification. When your school is destroyed, you destroy the neighborhood and the property value will go down and will make people leave the community. It is a push out of black and brown people because it does not happen in other communities. That's exactly right. That's exactly does not right. Happen. And I just wrote an article for our publication here. And what I wrote was, um, schools are the cornerstones of healthy, thriving communities. When you destroy the school, you destroy the community and you eliminate the people. And then, yes, the property values plummet. They come in, they buy them up for pennies on the dollar. Then all of a sudden they get access to all of this money to rebuild, to invest. But it's not with the people who belong to that community. But this is historically. This is what people are missing right here. Once the school closes. Okay, mom has to buy uniforms for another school, right? And m most probably can't afford it because she's taking care of overhead and she may be a single mother, right? What happens with that is children are dropping out at an early age and they're making money so they can support their mom because nobody wants their mom to be stressed out over no bills. So that's what's going on in New Orleans. Children are dropping out. The communities are destroyed and how children are getting away with this it's because we can no longer monitor our kids like we used to. Let's talk about it. Okay. Basic the thing economy. about it is back in the day, I was able to say, Daryl, I know you, what school you belong in. I know what time you need to be there. I know what days you're out. No longer. We can do that. Right. I, I, I surveyed our community of police and I asked three officers, do you know where Daryl belongs? Do you know where, uh, Cassandra belongs, uh, what, what, what school they belong in, what time they get in, what time they uh, let out, what is a professional develop time, what is a uh, break time, and we, they have a lot of breaks in New Orleans. Nobody can tell you what times a child needed to be out, so they could not identify who was truant. Before Hurricane Katrina, we could monitor our kids. We didn't even need an officer to tell us 
when when a child was a truant because we can identify the start times and the end times of the school year. That's we don't have a universal calendar. We need a universal calendar in New Orleans. You know what I mean? These children are people now are afraid of them, all right? Because they're pretty much growing up and raising themselves. Grandma used to be able to watch them. But now if they're dropping out and they're cutting school and stuff like that, you can't, you don't, you don't know. There's Even no if, system of care. That's right. No system place. of care. There's no structure and no system of care in place. It's interesting when you just said what you said, it just, a light went on. I never thought about it until you just said how even not having a consistent start and end time or a universal start and end time for children also plays into the truancy. It plays into the inability to properly monitor young people. It plays into the ability to not be able to say you belong at this school. And, and it does. If and, we had a we, if we had a universal calendar, police won't need to be there because we would know how ch- children belong ourselves in a community. You understand? And then if you have four children, all four may go to four different schools. So it's nothing consistent. And then there's holding schools where the schools with the number of children makes money. One school in my neighborhood have held about two, three, or four, five schools. And names just constantly change. And constantly another thing change. I want to point out, you have children that claim a rep their, their, their area that they're from, right? And you may have as many of uh, up to 12 zip codes in one school, you know, and children that, that don't recognize other children. You know, they, they want to claim territory. You know, when you're children, you do certain things like that. Sure. And um, that that starts another uh, conflict within our children. Another thing I know, one more thing I need to uh, point out and make sure people know is that teachers are spending too much time at the copier machine and not enough time building reports with our children because guess what? There are no more books in schools. There's not a book. Now, in, in, the in, schools, school. in the neighborhoods of black and brown children in the city of New Orleans. It's so interesting that you brought that up because I'm listening to the parallels between New Orleans, Philly, and Chicago and the devastation that Paul Vallis has l- left in each of these communities that are predominantly in predominantly black neighborhoods in these communities. And we had to fight with contract language for librarians. We did too. And even now, when you look at where they are, they're primarily not in our communities. So that's that parallel. No books in New Orleans, no books in Philly, and the fighting to keep librarians in the city of Chicago. And it makes you think about the curriculum that's being used and who's pushing that curriculum to our children. Are those the same entities that are pushing these teachers into our school systems that have no relationship and no desire to have a relationship and no cultural competency of the students that are in front of them. It makes me think about, um, you said the teachers were coming from Teach for America, right? And who else (laughs) is behind this? You you already know what you already know how this well, let's works. Say it for so the let, let's in the back. let's just be honest with you. So first and foremost, Philadelphia has lost most of our librarians. Our schools don't even have libraries anymore. Um, our teachers have been very resourceful because 
We have good teachers in Philly. I'm not going to play with Philadelphia Federation of Teachers. Bang, bang out. That's my people's all day, every day. Okay. They have many libraries inside of their own classrooms because they understand that children have to read regardless of what's going on in their life. But we had to fight for our nurses. Same here. We have no librarians right now. We we have to we have to fight for climate um staff. We have to fight for NTAs. We have to fight for everything. And you know what we tired of doing is fighting. Because the reality is we didn't have to do this 20 plus years ago. There was a surplus. It was a surplus of education values and people lived in the neighborhood. Your teacher lived in the neighborhood because at the end of the day, it was affordable for your teacher to live in the neighborhood. And your teacher could tell you, get your behind back into your house because it was a community that was real with each other. That is not it anymore. Speak more to the affordability or the lack of affordability that may have and, and its impact on teachers and the class. Yes. So gentrification has, has taken over Philadelphia in a whole new realm of things. So as I said, once you lose a school, you lose a community. And then what happens is a lot of our schools get turned into these condominiums or uh, brand new restaurants and all. And then it pushes out everybody else in the neighborhood. But our houses can be anywhere from $150,000 to $500,000, $600,000 which is not affordable at all. But teachers used to stay in our neighborhood, but now they're traveling from Jersey. They're traveling from New York. They're traveling from anywhere just to still get into the profession and stay in the profession. And that's not fair. It's not good. You know, one of the things I want to make sure we get to in um, before we go is, you know, when Vallis did all this in your communities when he was just the head of the public schools, what do you think would have happened had he actually run the city? As mayor. Child, please. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I would honestly say that we would have more black and brown people um, in slavery mentality, in slaves, because we call um, jail slaves. That is free labor. Um, I would say that we would have more people not having um, housing opportunities um, to purchase homes. Projects would probably been just the projects. Black and brown people would have been pushed out, basically. Let me not exclude poor white people. Because that's un- that's unfair and that's unrealistic to say that people, you know, of all colors are not poor or not being pushed out of all colors. We would have been pushed out of that city. It would have became a military ground. As a matter of fact, did y'all see what this fool is involved in now? Because I call him a fool because that's what he is. There's too many things he's involved oh, in. Oh, no. Yeah, because I'm going to narrow it down right now because he just he's a part of a new school in Arkansas now where he is now the head CEO of the military and first responders Academy. That's supposed to be opening up next year. So at the end of the day, privatization would have been the number one priority for this man. He's still a colonizer and that's what colonizers do. They come in, they take over and they destroy and they do not care and about multiply. anything. He's a Brody. Oh yes. Wait, babe. What's a Brody? A Brody is where he got um, education from. So I don't know if you know about Ed Brody. He got some money. He teaches superintendents how to destroy communities. He's a Brody. And you need to be careful with anybody like that. And that's across our nation. 
And the fact that if this was a black man that was able to, that would did this, he'd have been locked up. Locked up up a long time ago. A long time ago. So you say if if he had been the mayor of our city, in my opinion, I know for a fact he had more children locked up and in prison. As you were saying, as the colonizers, that was one of the things the colonizers did. They figured out what was central to that community, wherever they went into, and destroyed it. And then it would sort of just implode. And that's exactly what happened. And you you can see it happening in reverse. The reason people move to the suburbs is for good schools. Mm -hmm. You take out a good school from a community, people can leave, just like they go to a place with a good one. And it has nothing to do with the quality of the teachers because they're not given the resources to be able to be successful. And imagine if he could under-resource every public good within the community, every one, the way he did it with the schools. We would die. We want to have a hospital. We would die. <laughs> we Like, at the end of the day, we would die. And I think that Chicago would do themselves a disservice electing this man. As a matter of fact, he don't even live in Chicago. Don't his wife live in sub- suburbs and he renting a property? Y'all and, don't watch The View where, like, uh, uh, where, where Whoopi Goldberg uh, the, is afraid to say uh, the, the 45th name? <laughs> I feel the same way. I don't want to yeah. say his name, y'all. I'd rather say Brandon Johnson. Vote for him. I Cast would the vote. say that too. Yeah. <laughs> It's because he got a, it's a spirit on his name. That's why you don't want to say it. It's almost like to say his name, you're evoking this evil spirit, like Voldemort. And what, what infuriates me the most is when I see people who look like me. The house people. The, the house people. The house people. That bum rushed us at push, which to me is like sacred ground, right? Disrespectful. Like, um, and, and I have so much reverence and respect for Jesse Jackson and, and his family and, and the work that they, he's done for so many decades. And in many ways, I was like raised up in push, right? Going to push on Saturday mornings with my mother. And we had company coming in to tell our neighbors, our family, our friends to beware of this person. And those house Members, paid actors, bum rushed. What did you think when that, when when that, as that happened, as that unfolded, and you guys were watching as our guest? What did you? What was going through your mind? <laughs> so first, I'm a Philly activist. We do this all day. It don't mean nothing to me. So that was cute. It was nice, but it was disrespectful. You ignorant, self-centered. Mm. Then let me take it back too. Because you must have needed something. So he must have paid you well to be out here. You are really a paid actor and a paid actress to be that loud and that ignorant in some place that was really sacred. You disrespectful little child. You need your butt beat. Seriously, I, I, wish, your, I wish your grandmamas could see you. You need your butt beat. My immediate thought was, they selling us out. Yeah, I can't believe y'all doing this on the sacred grounds in front of your mamas. In front of your aunties who fought for us to have a better life. And a right to vote. And a right to vote. You know, like. Fannie Lou Hammer. Yes. Come on with it. Fought for this right, for us to enjoy this right and be a part of this democracy. And I I thought the same thing you thought. How much money. Yeah. But, you know, this is what I also know. When you for sale, the price doesn't matter. I call one of my girlfriends, I call us the day ones, right? And we just kind of been in this work for a minute. And 
I said, did anybody call you to make your office? Nobody called me. I said, that's because they know we no got better. to sell. Yeah. I said, but everybody, they nailed down to the ground, then got an offer. We yep. didn't get no kibbles and bits. <laughs> we didn't get nothing offered because they know we're not for sale. And they because they know that this union is on the side of right. And there is a, an inherent danger when you're on the side of right and you are trying to go up against Goliath. Absolutely. There is a there is a certain danger. I know about when, David, though. You know what I mean? You know what let's, let's, let's talk about David you know with that slingshot. I, told, I said, this is a David and Goliath <laughs> fight. And the night that we won on the 28th, I said, we got five smooth songs. They call, they call weeks. We got five weeks to knock this, knock this monster out. And so, like, in parting, what would you say? Because we're going to get ready to wrap up. So in terms of like advice or warning or heeding um, that you would say to our members who may be listening to this podcast or anyone else who's a Chicagoan that might be listening to this podcast, what would you want them to know about Paul Vallis? I will say, I will start off and say plain and simple, you know how corn doesn't stay in your body? It comes right on out. You eat it. It has no that's, nutrients. That's it has no nutrients. It has no value to your body unless it's popped. It goes right out. He is really that kind of person. He's going to come right on in and be pooped right on out. And at the end of the day, y'all, y'all got to do better. I'm sorry. You have to do better. You have to watch what has happened to every other city. And we're not talking about just Philly. We're not talking about New Orleans. We're talking about Haiti. We're talking about Puerto Rico. We're talking about every place this man has ever been or ever touched. He has destroyed and left destruction behind. If this is what you want, then you don't need to live here. How about you move? You move because Chicago needs something better. And I'm just going to put it short. Uh, Paul Vallis is a thief in the night. And my advice is to just stay woke. I feel like it's a time It's a time now to end the experiment, our children, our neighborhoods. And I'm here because it's my duty to warn y'all. You don't want Paul Vallis. Cast your vote for your boy, Brandon Johnson. Cast your vote for Brandon Johnson. I want to just thank our guests again for taking time out uh, during their visit in Chicago where they are speaking truth to power mm -hmm. and pain to power in the wake of uh, destruction that Paul Vallis has left. Uh, right now, we are poising ourselves to be like the phoenix reborn from the ashes, and mm -hmm. I wish those cities well. Uh, New Orleans and Philly as they try to find themselves on solid footing. And we're going, what, what else we got to say there? Well, we got to say, don't forget to go out to the polls. We've got um, early And you voting. can go anywhere. Like, you can leave work and anywhere you find a poll um, doing early voting, you can cast your vote. Please, um, if you're an educator, you know that we're going to run right smack dab into spring break. So please do talk to your coworkers. You know, make a plan. There are so many ways to vote. You can vote by, by mail. You can early vote. So make a plan and vote. There you go. Oh, don't forget to call us at... 312-467-8888 or you can even email us if you want to go old school like that and go for the email oh my god c2speaks email is now old school it's my, official my kids tell me I, we don't read our email and I'm like what alright we'll see you on the next episode thank you guys <laughs> <laughs>